Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Filmcast. I'm David Chen, and with me are Devinder Hardwar and Jeff Kanata. Welcome to the show, everyone. What we got in store for you today, we got some what we've been watching for you, and then we're going to follow it up with an in-depth review of Guy Ritchie's newest movie, The Gentleman, which is a movie I was actually uh, greatly looking forward to because it is Guy Ritchie returning back to the gangster genre after making movies like Aladdin. So Uh, many stars. How could it go wrong? How could it go wrong? We're going to discuss all the ways. Uh, But in any case, you can find more episodes of this podcast at SlashFilmCast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com and email us people did now during last week's episode of the podcast uh, i discussed uh going onto hollywood boulevard and uh, getting my photo taken with uh someone in a navi costume which is something that people on hollywood boulevard apparently do quite a bit uh they dress up and they get photos taken with people we got a lot of like varied responses to our segment about this. Uh, But uh, Jeff kind of mentioned uh, one of the people that actually did this for quite a while and was very beloved at doing this. His name was Christopher Dennis, and he uh, used to play Superman on Hollywood Boulevard. And uh, by all accounts, took took the role very seriously. Like he- He was also in a a documentary, there was a documentary made about him uh, called Confessions of a Superhero. Um, from 2007 that was really uh, kind of going into what the life of someone who dresses up like that and goes out on Hollywood Boulevard and does that is like. Yeah. Um, and it's a fascinating story. I brought him up in that context and I brought him up um, perhaps a bit cheekily, not knowing, uh, and immediately after our episode went up, got a deluge of emails and tweets. And thank you all for informing me. I just was unaware and <clears throat> should have been more circumspect about that. But uh, unaware that he had passed away not too long ago, actually, the end of last year, and um, in in really tragic way. It's really a, a horrible, sad tale. Um, <clears throat> I was forwarded the L.A. Times article about it, and I won't go into details. They are really um, gruesome and just very sad. But uh, I regret bringing it up in such a flip manner, and um, I'm sad to hear that his life ended in such a tragic way. Yeah. So wanted to acknowledge that and we'll link to that uh, LA Times article in the show notes. On a brighter note, uh, I do want to also acknowledge that I made a mistake on last week's episode of the podcast. Um, I referred to the fact that in the photo that I posted online of myself uh, taking a picture with Navi uh, on Hollywood Boulevard with Peter Sreda, I was holding its tail. And I referenced yeah. the tail as kind of the uh, the thing that they the you think they used to interface with animals and with each other. This is the um, best correction, by the way. I love it. You yeah, you yeah, you made yeah. a made a remark that it was the sex organ of the uh, Navi. Well, the sex organ, brain interface organ, what have you. And we got an email uh, from Kit Reese from Columbus, Ohio, who uh, wrote in with subject line "Avatar: Big Technical Mistakes," and he writes here in the email quote. You made gross mistakes regarding Avatar and the biology of the Navi while recounting your costume adventures in L.A. The tails on Navi are just tails. Extending from the pelvis like other tailed mammals, they perform familiar tail-like functions, uh, including balance, hints of mood, and have prehensile abilities. The cue with which they achieve neural connections with creatures and each other is a tentacle-like appendage that extends from the base of the skull. And then here, Kit includes a, a photo from Avatar here. 
uh, of, of uh, I think it's Jake Sully riding one of those big uh, winged creatures. And Kit <laughs> continues, it is usually concealed in a hair braid running the length of the queue. The tendrils at the end connect directly to the brain. The neural connection performed by joining cues may be done during sex to create an intimate connection between Navi partners, but this itself is not sex. Navi sex is comparable to human sex, just pretty much the same. So to recap, number one, tails and cues are different appendages on a Navi. Number two, joining the queue ends achieves a neural connection with a Navi or cued creature. And number three, just as humans may kiss during sex, kissing is not sex. The Navi will join the cues during sex, but this act itself is not sex. <laughs> uh, Jeff, I am disappointed in you. These errors were yours to catch and correct, end quote. Mm. That's correct. Oh, no, Kit. man. I just uh, yeah. I just let the rope go and you, you know, you hang let yourself. The, with, you let the hairbraid braid go. Yeah. <laughs> twist itself the, around Dave. The yeah. cue get longer. That's what I do. Yeah, so I, I just want to acknowledge my gross errors uh, on the last episode of the podcast. Uh, and thanks to Kit, who is, as far as I can tell, the foremost expert on Navi biology on the entire planet, um, who was able to help me remedy that uh, that egregious error. So thank you, Kit, and appreciate everyone's emails on that topic. <laughs> uh, that was, I'm sure, one of just tons of emails we got that were the same. I, I mean, tens of dozens of emails. It was at least yeah. 500 emails that we got about yeah, I'm sure. how I misplaced the Navi sex order. You don't, you don't want to cross the Avatar fan base. You know what I'm saying? You, you don't. They are, they are so voracious. They are legion. They are legion. They're, there are dozens of them. Dozens. <laughs> uh, okay. Finally, there is one other announcement I uh, want to make, uh, and it's it's really like a very small programming change. So don't uh, you know don't don't worry too much. But essentially, beginning in two weeks from now, um, we are going to try a different release schedule for the slash homecast. We're still going to come out once a week, but what we're going to try to do is break our uh, typical. Uh, a podcast episode, which consists of a what we've been watching and a in-depth review into two episodes. And we're going to release them on different weeks. And the reason for that is uh, essentially twofold. Number one, we're all getting like pretty busy at this point in our lives. And this will allow us to reduce the total recording burden and overhead uh, for the show and allow us to like set the show up on a sustainable basis going forward. But number two, and this is the thing that really excites me, is that like we can now put more effort into each one of those segments. Specifically, uh, we yeah. can add so in- more than very little. Yeah, <laughs> we can add in some after darks. We can add in. We can like plan out what we're going to be t- talking about and what we've been watching. Make it more of an in depth segment. So, uh, so we're going to give that a sh- try for a couple months and see how it goes. But I do just want to let everyone know that in the next few weeks, you're going to start to see like a different release schedule for the slash filmcast, uh, and it will be basically splitting a-, a normal episode into two episodes. And the episode total length might go down a little bit. It might be closer to like 70, 75 minutes instead of 90 to 100 minutes. And we're just going to see how it goes. Uh, we would love your feedback. You can always email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. You can tweet at any one of us. Each of us is on Twitter. Or you can tweet at the slash filmcast account at twitter.com slash slash filmcast. But 
I, for one, am very much looking forward to uh, this new arrangement. I think it will set us up for success going forward. But I do want to let people know it is going to be a change. And uh, we have changed this, the format of the show many times in the past. Uh, not many times. A handful of times in the last decade or so. And this is going to be another one of those big transitions. Um, and we appreciate everyone sticking by us for all of our transitions throughout the years. And we hope you'll continue to do so uh, this time as well. Um, we, so, we have to practice sustainable podcasting. Yeah, Otherwise, okay. uh, this resource will just disappear. You don't, you know? We've reached peak podcasting. We don't want to deplete our podcasting supplies. Yes. Um, and so this kind of helps set us up uh, for the future. And so we're going to see how it goes for a few months. We'll evaluate and then go from there. But during basically the next two to three months, we're going to be collecting a lot of feedback and seeing how people react. And uh, so you, you can help us uh, decide whether this is the way it's going to be going forward. But we think it's a, a good plan, and we're going to give it a shot. So again, and starting, the feedback yeah, that yeah, the feedback that we've gotten so far <laughs> you know, over the years is we really like it when you guys do after darks, and I think that the yeah. fact that we well you know sort of make room for more after darks is one of the things I'm most excited about. I'm very excited because... about that as well. I mean, we we have done almost no after darks in the last like couple years we've done like maybe three or four after darks right so this theoretically no <laughs> this theoretically we're gonna do other stuff after dark yeah 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 that's right so this theoretically will allow us to do more after darks uh like if we don't have a lot of stuff in what we're watching we'll just do an after dark talk about random stuff talk about how our lives are going i think people really enjoy those chats and so uh this will hopefully allow us to do that more so that that's the vision for what we're going to do. We'll see if the reality lives up to that vision, but I'm pretty hopeful about it. So um, so next week, the rhythm section, we'll be doing like a normal episode. And then the the week following, uh, Birds of Prey, we'll just do a, a review-only episode followed by an, a what we've been watching-only episode. And so just be aware, there's going to be a change in the format and do not be alarmed. It's going to be us three uh, still keeping it together, but uh, it will be a little bit different in format. So just want to let people know uh, supposed and, to be keeping it together. That's what we're doing. Yeah, kind of. We're trying. Oh. Yeah, we're trying. We're trying. Well, speaking of keeping it together, that's what people in a fictional town uh, in the Outsider are trying to do in the wake of a terrible murder. Devinder Hardwar, uh, you had a chance to watch the Outsider this week. What did you think of it? I did. Uh, it's not. I don't even know if it's a fictional town. It is yet another horrific uh, child murder series uh, outside of Atlanta. So really looking forward to moving down there and reliving my favorite moments of The Outsider and uh, what was it? Mindhunters season two. That's what I'm looking forward to. This is a show um, based on a Stephen King novel. It's an adaptation of that by Richard Price. And he is, you know, he's a crime novelist. He's written for The Wire and a bunch of like major shows. Um, this is a show about um, a, a child has been murdered in this town. And all the evidence points to a uh, local uh, baseball coach, you know, hero, uh, Jason Bateman as the culprit. And I th that's that's the main thrust to the show. I Does think anybody think that he may have turned into a wolf at some mm -hmm. point? In his teenage years? Um, uh, no, no, Jeff, we're not going to go there. Okay, that's banned. It's just a theory I want to float for this mystery. I'm just saying that could that could be where this series actually goes because it, it is doing the sort of like mystery thing. The mystery is uh, all the evidence points to him doing this murder, except there's also evidence pointing to him being like a hundred miles away. And the series mm. is about that mystery. Um, ben Mendelsohn stars in it. He is a he, he's a cop who's kind of broken down, who's also dealt with the loss of a child himself. And it is about him like doggedly pursuing this case. 
Um, I think the first few episodes of this show were fine. I think they were very well written. The direction feels a little, a little dull, a little boring at times. Like it doesn't, it doesn't reach the heights of like um, a lot of the other HBO shows. Like Sharp Objects, I felt was like really well directed and very like visceral. This just feels um, very dull and steady. But the third episode introduces a new character played by Cynthia Revo, who I love. She's been in a ton of great things lately, and she is. She is somebody with more personality than the rest of the characters. Um, I think she really just brings a lot of life into the show. So I'm, yeah, I think it's it's only, it's not very long. It's like nine episodes. Um, so I'm going to keep going. It's about four episodes in right now. I think the mystery is interesting. I kind of like how they're building things up. Um, I can't say much about where it goes, but I will say it's a, it's not as like, straightforward as you'd expect from the trailer and maybe from the first couple episodes like it goes places um it reminds me of other shows that even if i mentioned those shows it would kind of give you a sense of where the show's going so anyway check it out if you like cynthia review if you like ben mendelson there's some good stuff here i just how many shows about kids dying can hbo have I really don't know. All of them. All is of it them. is it really dark? Is it a, a super dark, like it's, grisly? It's pretty it's pretty it's like a dark, slow and steady show. Um I think once Cynthia Revo appears, she feels like a character from another universe who is in this like, oh, I thought this was gonna be a very, you know, straightforward show and she comes in like somebody from uh i don't know like a, a special character from like the good wife or something like somebody with just a lot of personality and quirks she's like a special investigator who um through the grace of god or something just knows facts like she could look at a building and know exactly how tall it is and know things like that like it, it's very it's a very savant detective type thing i'm really digging that part of the show um i'm gonna you know it's it's kind of a dry season for great tv so i'm gonna stick with this one for now all right, that's The Outsider. It's on HBO. And yeah, I guess the town is not fictional. That was just me trying to make a transition and uh, failing horribly at doing so, so. Well, no, it's everything happens in Georgia now. Everything happens in Atlanta because it's so easy to film there. And uh, it is just uh, intermixed between like seeing like Marvel places being shot there and, uh, you know, um, whatchamacallit, Watchmen being shot all over Georgia. It is kind of terrifying to see like these <laughs> a lot of these shows just taking place on quiet suburban Georgia streets where children are being murdered left and right. Yeah. Come Very hard to bring my child there. Stay yeah. for the child abduction. That's what they say in Georgia. <laughs> That's what they say. So uh, I do also want to give a shout out to Cynthia Revo, who may become the youngest EGOT winner ever. Hell yeah. Um, so EGOT stands for Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, and Tony Award. It was coined by the uh, NBC original series 30 Rock and uh, she might be uh, if she wins an Oscar might become the youngest person to to get an EGOT I think John Legend another person that has an EGOT um, was it really uh, penned by 30 Rock what yeah it was coined, yeah, yeah it was coined in 30 Rock as far as I Tracy know Tracy Morgan wants to get yeah, it and... Tracy Morgan wants to get an EGOT yeah Okay. Um, that's the first time I remember hearing it. Maybe, maybe we'll get it. That's the first time I heard of it, but I, I feel like I, I would be shocked if that was the actual origin. Of it. I think that is. Yeah, I think it is. I, I, I Good God, a lot of lot of Thirty Rock gave our culture a lot of things. You know, like I think yeah. uh, when I think leap of the day, uh, what'd you say? <laughs> leap day. Leap day. I think of rural juror. The rural I think juror. Of uh, I, the the biggest thing that I've seen the most from Thirty Rock, I would say, Bob Loblaw's Loblog. That's mm. Arrested Development, man. Oh, development. I was trying the to other get one. 
I tried to get you. I tried to get you. Uh, the don't don't dare question my rest of development knowledge. The uh, the thing that I think of the most is like, how do you do, fellow kids? That's the one that there's actually even like a, a subreddit called Fellow Kids. That's like all Isn't about that community. No, dude, it's Thirty yeah, Rock. Yeah. Stop yeah. contributing things every, to things that time, aren't Thirty every Rock. Every time I see that GIF of uh, of what's his face, I always think it looks like a community. Steve episode Buscemi, the Steve Buscemi yeah. saying, "How do you?" It focus? looks like a community. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's Thirty Rock, and yeah, Thirty Rock gave us a lot of a, a lot of memes uh, that we are all grateful for. So, okay, that's the Outsider. It's on HBO right now. What else have you yes. been watching, Devendra? Another show that is sort of like the polar opposite tonally from The Outsider is Lodge 49. And this is a thing, it premiered on AMC um, a couple of years ago, 2018. It was a last year's show. I'm watching it on Hulu now just because I'm I'm kind of bored. This looks like a nice, sunny California show. And it is. It's set in Long Beach. It stars um, Wyatt Russell as a guy who just has no direction in life. He stumbles into this uh, fraternal order lodge and uh, hijinks ensue. It's kind of a really weird show to even describe because it's it's not about anything except these like broken people trying to find some meaning in their lives. And this lodge is the, is the center of it. Uh, there is some like weird metaphysical stuff going on. There's some weird like semi supernatural stuff. Um, it's it kind of reminds me of like if Twin Peaks meets Terriers in a way. It's just like <laughs> sunny and bright, and I really. I dig the mysticism of the show and I dig like these people searching for meaning and white wrestle is great. It is a perfect show to watch when it is horrible and cold and freezing in New York. Like this is my California vacation right now. <laughs> so it's all on Hulu. It's, it's worth checking out. I watched about five episodes of this show. I think I talked about it on a previous <laughs> yeah, yeah, episode. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, just because I love David Pasquese so much and I was like, David Pasquese is in the show. And, uh, I was, so I was like, I'll watch anything with David Pasquese in it. Um, I could not, I gave it five episodes and I couldn't, couldn't get into it. Yeah, There's like it's, a weird it's, mystery it's a of like, weird... what is the lodge? But yeah. I kind of didn't care. And I wanted something to happen that was anything. And it it's just, also I like, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what the mystery is because it's just about these characters, like just stumbling their way through life. Uh, I'm it's not that... actually funny. Like it's not funny. It's it's yeah. just sort of this kind of experience that you're having with these people. And I don't know. They were all likable enough, but I just found myself going, I, I need a little more meat on the bone here. Yeah. 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 I hear you. I hear you. It's just, it is a nice, like chill out show for me. Like it is a great chill out vibe. I love the vibe of the show because it is very, very relaxed. There isn't like much hardcore conflict going on. So it is a nice, like, sunny show of people just trying to find themselves. And I kind of need that sometimes. It's, I dig it. I kept thinking that if I would just watch one more of them, it's going to turn a corner. Because I like all <laughs> yeah, these people. Yeah. And people talk about how much they love the show. It was, like, canceled. And then people rallied to bring it back and all that stuff. And I just, I don't, I don't, I'm not. It's weird. It getting. goes places. Like, weird things happen. Shocking things happen. It's like if Mad Men when Mad Men went to California, all of a sudden it felt like a very different show because it was less less like the, you know, very fast and aggressive New York attitude of the show. This this feels completely like that. If Mad Men were set today about slackers in Long Beach, it would feel like the show. <laughs> well, uh, Lodge 49 is available right now on Hulu. Yeah, it did get two seasons before it got canceled, unfortunately. I'm uh, shocked. I'm shocked it got two seasons, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> Well, um, in any case, that's what Davinja's been watching this week. Before we move on, let's thank our sponsor for this episode, uh, Quip. Jeff, you want to tell people about Quip? 
I love telling people about Quip. I genuinely do. Uh, I love Quip. It's a weird thing to say about your toothbrush, but Quip says it, and I have learned that it's true, that when you have good habits, you're good. And I, for the longest time, had really terrible habits when it came to brushing. I Sure, I would brush every day, multiple times, but I would often not brush for the dentist recommended two minutes. I'd be in a hurry. And I, I got things to do. I got stuff on my mind. I can't pay attention. I don't even know how long I've been brushing. I'm just going, just haphazardly going. And I got, I am spitting out the toothpaste and moving on. But then I got Quip and my life improved because Quip handles the mental load of how long I need to brush, which is a weird thing to think is a big deal until you try it. And then you realize, oh my gosh, that's a really big deal. I recently just got my third Quip for my house. I got one for my wife, got one for my son, and I have one for myself. And the cool thing about Quip is, is it handles all of the details about maintaining good habits because you just start brushing and then it vibrates with these gentle bristles and, and sonic vibrations that are really uh, good for your teeth. And then you can let your mind wander because it will pulse after 30 seconds, four times. And on the fourth time, it turns itself off. So you got that two minutes that dentists recommend. Plus, I would often have the terrible habit of just using the same toothbrush for months and months and months and months and months at a time, years at a time, to the point where the bristles are just sad. I mean, think about your toothbrush right now, dear listener. Are your bristles like bent over and squished and crushed? Probably, if you're like me, probably. But Quip offers a subscription so that they give you a new brush head every three months, which is the dentist recommended way to do it. And it's easy to just pop it off and pop the new one on. It's simple instructions. It's really cool. It's slick. I love this toothbrush. And if you go to getquip.com slash filmcast right now, you can get your first refill for free. That's your first refill free at getquip.com slash filmcast. It's spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash filmcast f-i-l-m-c-a-s-t quip the good habits company we want to talk about picard which came back uh this week on cbs uh all premiered Access. this week premiered yeah. this week yeah i should say uh bringing the, the the iconic character back in a regular series uh before we do that jeff you uh watched one show called letter kenny right I did. I'm super late to this party. Uh, I'm super late to this party. I had never heard of this show before, but evidently there's eight seasons of it <laughs> that exist. Uh, and my brother-in-law recommended this one to me. Uh, we had that thing, you know, I keep telling the same story over and over. My wife and I sitting around trying to decide what to watch. Looked at the old outsider on HBO, you know, keep telling ourselves we got to watch Chernobyl. There's a lot of shows I want to watch. Oh boy. Chernobyl, oh boy. Chernobyl is so good, dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I know, yeah. guys. I know. But you know what? Yeah, Jeff. You know what? When you get your finally get your kids to bed at 830, you want to see faces melt off. Come on. <laughs> just want to smile a little bit and relax and maybe yeah. eat some fucking ice cream. That you know is, by saying? the way, why I'm watching Lodge 49. <laughs> it is precisely that show. Well, we, like, that's what yeah, I tr relax. we tried Lodge 49 for that reason, you know, a long time ago. We tried uh, Schlitz Creek because people talk about how great that show is. Couldn't we watch like four Sh episodes of that? Schlitz Creek, I believe, Schitt's is Creek. the name. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently, it takes till season I mean, two to get you're really the potty good. mouth. I don't know. Yeah. Say <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, season, I, we couldn't we couldn't get into that show, even though I love those actors. 
So I'm like, I'm at my wit's end. I'm literally texting people like, what's a funny, sh- what's a funny thing, a movie, anything. I just want to watch something funny and fun tonight. Saturday night, we got ice cream. It's sitting there melting as we're scrolling through the 14 different subscription services that I pay for, scrolling around trying to find, is there anything this new is that's funny? This is how society ends, by the way. It's just uh, us scrolling yeah. through everything yeah. and never making a decision. Yeah. There's a billion D shows that I want to watch that I feel behind on. Haven't finished The Witcher. Haven't finished Watchmen. Like a billion D shows, all of them, doer, dark, uh, murder babies. You know, it's all just, <laughs> all, it's just Wait, all. Are, so, are it's murder like, babies I, I love... babies that get murdered or babies that do the murdering? Baby murder. Both, Dave. Both. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, I understand we're at peak television and I love me a great hour long drama. I do. I love that we're in the golden age of these amazing hour-long investment shows where you're going to get through 12 episodes. But it feels like such a huge investment sometimes, and I just want to laugh. I just want to, like, give me something fun and funny. So I remember, I recall, over Christmas, my brother-in-law saying, I'm watching the show Letterkenny, and I think it's hilarious. And I go to the Hulu, and I go to the Letterkenny, and I go, honey, this looks like a show I'm not going to like at all. Because, uh, you know, it's about it's, it's self-described as being about Hicks and Canadians. <laughs> and but while I have a soft spot in my heart for both of those uh, groups of people uh, being related to to <laughs> both of them uh, in various ways, uh, I f- often don't enjoy the. Uh, let's just say uh, the reveling in uh, ignorance that sometimes these kinds of shows can be. I don't I, you know, it's not my thing, right? I like smart shows. And this thing looked like, uh, there's what's that other show with the dude with the big thick glasses that people love? Like the giant Coke bottle glasses. Every, every single goddamn show. I have no, no, no idea what the hell you're doing. You don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> like, the guy's eyes are like magnified. Like, they're, are they're you people. talking about the Drew something... show, Jeff? No. <laughs> Tell no. me something about the show other than the guy's glasses. <laughs> That's the only thing. I, I guarantee you there's tons of people listening to this podcast who know exactly what I'm talking about. Because it's like this this dude. It's like that's the thing about What's the guys. What's the plot, the, that Jeff? What's like the a, premise a bunch of the show? It's a bunch of guys that are being stupid. It's just like, well, look how stupid we are. I have glasses that are thick. Anyway, <laughs> that's not this show. I'm just saying are you that's okay, the Jeff? kind of show I don't okay? like. I'm not okay, Dave. <laughs> Jeff, Jeff, the kids are asleep. By the way, I think it's uh, I think it's Trailer Park Boys. That's the show. Trailer, Trailer Park Boys. Thank you. <laughs> See, I didn't need to give you any extra information. It's Trailer Park Boys, right? Did not enjoy that show because it's just like, how dumb can we be? Let's be dumb. Yeah. Okay. okay. This is a very long now, wind up to what you thought of Letterkenny. <laughs> now that I have offended everyone, I really like Letterkenny, dude. Two minutes into that show, I was crying, laughing. Have you guys watched Letterkenny at all? No, I, no. It I, is I, also it's among the potentials for my wife and I to to watch after all this stuff. Uh, channel. This guy made a YouTube channel in like 2016, 2015. Canadian dude filmed it himself. Little little you know short episodes. It got a deal. And now there's they have eight seasons and now they're exclusive to Hulu. Total success story. And it's because the show is really whip smart and cool. I, I mean. It is very base humor. It very much reminds me of uh, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia in, in a lot of ways. But the delivery is so dry and so quick. Like you'll you'll miss three or four jokes because they're coming so fast. 
And I love it. It's all about language. It's all about the, the this dry, motionless delivery. The, the, these characters, these these hicks, are sitting in front of their their you know stand on the side of the road, and they're just riffing on stuff. Da, 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 da. And it is so fast, and you could barely keep up with it. But then you catch something that's so funny in such a clever way of referring to a thing. I mean. The third episode, I think, is all about farts. Like they make fart book instead of Facebook. So that's the level of sophistication we're talking about. <laughs> but it's done with such a plum. It is done with a a there. Honestly, I realize I'm very late to this party because there's a lot of people that dig this show. But to me, it felt like, oh my gosh, I'm watching something new. I'm watching a new style of comedy. So many comedies right now are in the same exact style. There's a style that catches and then everybody apes that style and it's just how the setups and punchlines come and the and the rhythm and you know the office was big so there's like everybody's rhythm is the office. Um 30 rock is big so everybody's rhythm is 30 rock and it becomes this very predictable thing and even though I like those styles it's so rare when you go oh my gosh there is these guys are doing something completely different and it feels super fresh. I mean, I had that feeling when I saw, uh, it's always sunny the first time it's like a different style. And I found that really exciting and really cool. These guys are super talented and I have like 58 more episodes to watch. I don't know if the style will get old. I hope not, but I am really liking it. I was laughing my butt off watching letter Kenny. So I highly recommend it. All right. Well, that's Letter Kenny. And what was the method by which you watched it, Jeff? It's on Hulu. It's exclusive, I think, to Hulu. All right. Check it's a, it out. Original Canadian show, uh, yeah. but then Hulu has just per- purchased the rights and they renewed it for its eighth season. Very cool. That's Letter Kenny on Hulu right now. All right, folks. So all three of us had a chance to watch Picard. And I think. In the past, we've talked about uh, our varying levels of fandom of the next generation. I feel like I'm like based on my our previous conversation, it, it feels like I'm the biggest next generation fan on on this podcast. I'm not sure, Jeff. Were, were you a, a huge? I'm, I'm close. I, yeah, I'm close. I I, I had my uh, I I think the difference between us is that I haven't really revisited those episodes in quite a long time, and I think perhaps you have more recently. Yeah, but I've gone when back it was a little bit recently. Airing, yeah. Yeah, when they were airing, I it was my favorite show on TV. I mean, I would I was in what junior high or whatever, and it was like I would, appointment television. I loved it. And I am usually pretty cynical when it comes to reboots, right? Like Fuller House, who gives a crap? You know, things like that. Um, mad about you? Uh, mad about who? Uh, you know, but when it came Thanks. to them relaunching, uh, you know, the, the Star Trek with with Discovery, which I haven't watched, but Picard, more importantly. I mean, we're like pick easy, right? <laughs> what? Oh, Picard, I get it. Um, but the uh, uh, the thing is, I'm like that. Mad about you. I'm trying to get in on the mad about you riff, and yeah, you just no, feel like was, you just that was pretty rough though. Um, it was rough to begin with, and then you made it worse. <laughs> I think. So I thought we were doing a thing. I thought we were all doing a thing. John no? okay. John Luke Picard is uh, like one of my most beloved characters in like popular culture ever, right? And this is a guy I, I realized as I was watching the the pilot episode of Picard on CBS All Access that like this is a, this is like my sci-fi version of the West Wing, right? It was like Star Trek The Next Generation, which didn't always get it right. Like they, they might have messed some things up, but in general they stood for um 
like honor and integrity and intellectual curiosity uh, and all these things that I learned to value through watching the show. And uh, no, be- like no character better embodied all those characteristics than Jean Luc Picard, played by Patrick Stewart. It was an indelible performance that uh, was a formative part of my upbringing. So I was really excited to to dive into this again, to see him return to this character, and hoping that like they would do honor to this character, they do honor to Next Generation, uh, and so uh, that that was like what I was hoping going into this. And after the first episode, I mean. I don't know that it's very, very different from The Next Generation, right? Like, The Next Generation, they're on a ship. Uh, Every single episode was was pretty um, episodic, pretty procedural, right? Like, every episode, there'd be, like, Monster of the Week or uh, here's a... It was a different time. Yeah, a different time. It was a different time in television. They're making, like, 22, 26 episodes a year. And and nobody really had carryover stories at that time. I mean, it just wasn't done because the business model for how television worked didn't support that right so it's very like not very much serialization at the time Um, but now we see serialization everywhere so we assume that uh, this season of Picard will tell uh, one long continuous story and uh, well I mean Jeff why don't we start with you like what did you think of uh, of the pilot episode are you excited about the rest of the series like you Next Generation is my Star Trek. That's the Star Trek I am yeah. most in love with and uh, hold most dear. Um, and he, he is the character. He is the reason. Like, you know, it wasn't Riker or Geordi LaForge or Worf or anybody that was the reason that I loved that show. It was not, because... Not Wesley Crusher? You're not a Wesley Crusher fan? No, no. I mean, all those characters were fun and, and you know, rounded out the the world. But that the wish fulfillment of that show was, you know, whereas... The 60s Star Trek was, you know, go down to the planet and punch something in the face, <laughs> Kirk style, you know. This was, let's think, let's play chess with the galaxy, yeah. right? And I love that. Now, Star Trek has changed a lot since then because of the JJification of the of the franchise and a lot of other things. But you know, so I was very excited that that we would maybe return to this character. Now, this show certainly feels more like an action show than I thought it might, uh, than what what I felt like was a next generation, you know, true spiritual success successor. This to me is it's funny. This to me feels like what if Jean Luc Picard was Professor Charles Xavier? Yeah, this is <laughs> like know? the Logan version. Yeah. Of John where Luke he's Picard. Logan. Where, yeah. yeah, but where he's Logan. And of course, I'm aware that Patrick Stewart was also in Logan. Um, but uh, yeah. It's like he's, he's collecting Logan. his X-Men. You know, it's like he's 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 collecting the X-Men in this show. And and there's, I don't know. First of all, the show is beautifully shot. It's so, so cool to see Star Trek on TV look like this. There's money on the screen. And I love that. It's beautiful. And I, you know... We can rail against nostalgia, but man, sometimes nostalgia works and is <laughs> very satisfying, you know? Well, when... the, the thing is, like, but even back in the day, like, I watching The Next Generation back when it was first released, it's like, wow, that, that looked super cool. Like, I think some of those effects still hold up. Like, the replicate, like, that tech was so cool at the time. Like, replicator, right. even just the idea of a replicator. Like, you just say yeah. what you want. Holodeck. To, yeah. The holodeck Holodecks, is, is you know? the you know, is still the gold standard of what we all hope for, for the world. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And, and it's like, even back then it was so like, 
you know, a lot of movies we watch the technology, and the technology is very frequently limited by what visual effects are capable of. And of course, the next generation had those limitations as well. But it's like it was so far beyond, like. You know, it's not just like here's here's a a computer screen that looks like an iPad. You know, it, it's like in the future there's going to be things that will just food you want will just appear in a machine, and um, you can have like a, a, a personal theme park inside one room. You know, in the hall, it's just like yeah. so mind blowing. And then to see that brought to life with like modern television CG is really exciting, right? Yeah, yeah. And and the show's is fun. I think the the young actors that they're bringing in to round out the cast already have me interested. And you know, this show could really mess up. I think. I hope it doesn't. I, I'm a little worried by the, the the cliffhanger of the first episode because I feel like, oh, I don't. Let's not get too crazy too quickly, folks. Let's let's like hang out with our characters for a while, you know. <laughs> but uh, I'm I'm in. You know, I'm hooked. The fact that it sounds like we're going to get more and more of the old uh, TNG characters showing up. I, I loved watching um, Patrick Stewart on The View literally ask Whoopi Goldberg to come yeah, play Dine. Yeah, that's good. You know, I was like, ah, I just, like my geek heart is growing. And I don't know. It's nostalgia sometimes really works. And I'm I'm in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I- Go ahead. So you both you both really really like the show. I, I will say that my thoughts are maybe not quite as positive as Jeff. I think it's like I'm a, cautiously optimistic. Uh, yeah, ca- I, that. I agree. That's how I describe it. Cautiously optimistic. It's very clearly going to be like a space adventure. I think is what it seems to be setting up for, and. I think the thing you lose with that is that the next generation was extremely cerebral, right? It was very much about like uh, it made you think, it made you consider. Right. It wasn't always the most exciting show. In fact, frequently it wasn't exciting. But when when you, th- I think it is telling that the movie, uh, the Star Trek Next Generation movie that this most refers back to is Star Trek Nemesis, which was meant to right. be like a pretty terrible film. But it was basically an action film. Like it was, it was a right. sci-fi action movie uh, that was pretty mindless. And uh, that's the movie. That's the movie that this one most frequently refers back to. Uh, and I think that's what it's kind of trying to be. It's trying to be like exciting. It's trying to be like hey, they're, they're on this grand adventure and trying to find out this mystery. It's less about hey, uh, this is a we're meeting a race that can only speak in in uh, verbs. You yeah, know, like how do we concepts. communicate with? That's, yeah, right. That's what's so fun about TNG is yeah. it's it's conceptually fascinating. Right. It's like Doctor right. Who. You know, it's like this episode is about this crazy sci-fi idea and how do we wrap our brains around it? And yeah, I agree that there's no indication that this show is going to be doing that at all. Yeah, which is a shame. Which is a shame. But so we'll see how much moral ambiguity there is in the show because I think there is some room to 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 grow there. But Devendra, what did you think of Picard? Um. I mean, I, I think the nostalgia bits work really well. Love seeing Patrick Stewart back in the role. And, uh, you know, it's great seeing Data back. It, it's great seeing a lot of these characters and these situations. I do feel like for something um, being spearheaded by Michael Chabon, the the actual like narrative and thrust of everything feels like super messy. It, like, yeah, it we are very disjointed. Right, to incredibly me. messy. Like yeah. this is not. It does not feel like a good pilot episode. I think Patrick Stewart grounds this stuff in like him being great as always. But there's a lot of stuff happening um, that feels random. Yeah. We're introduced to new characters very quickly, and a lot of information happens in one scene. Uh, there, uh, there's a character. We see a you know an Asian woman and a black guy in alien outfit 
the guy immediately dies and the Asian woman starts doing Kung Fu like randomly. Like it's, it's just a lot of like stuff like that where I'm like, you, you're a good writer. You know how to like plot this out. And apparently there's a, there's like a newscast in the, uh, in the episode, like that major dramatic interview, which lays out the state of the world as it is right now. And I, I could not even comprehend like what the a lot of like what the major conflict is. I had to watch the behind the scenes bits for the first episode to be like, oh, oh, there was this thing and these people attack this thing. And that's what's happening. That's why everybody's so pissed off. And it feels like for a pilot episode, you got to at least you got to like say that you got to like tell me what is going on. Um, but I'm I'm interested. I think Discovery had a far better first episode. Um, I'd really love to know what you guys thought of that show because it at least it tries to do very new things. It's not super trekky, but I think its approach to new trek is interesting. I think that uh, you, you you got a point there. The thing that was most disorienting to me about watching the Picard pilot was uh, how characters get around from place to place. Like there's a character, the character you described was uh, theoretically in Boston, and then literally the next time you see her, she's in I think France. And then she's in another, and I'm just like, are they, are they transporting everywhere? Like, are, are they taking a shuttle? Like, why how does, wouldn't you? I, I guess, but like, no one's ever sh- like, no one's shown transporting places in, in the, you know, so. But maybe they just like, oh well, people will just assume that they do, you know, who knows? But it, it, it is kind of weird when people can just transport and then you don't need to show it, and so they just appear well, in random places. I, I did find that to be a little disorienting. You um, talk about, you talk about all of the wonderful tech that sparked our imaginations in the next generation. And I don't disagree with any of that, but part of the thing that makes that show work is that we're on a ship that's isolated out in the remote yeah. reaches of the galaxy. Yeah. And we don't have to reckon with what that would do to the global economy to have right. a replicator and, and teleportation right. yeah. and all of those things like the world would not bear any <laughs> resemblance to what we have now. I mean, there would be literally no reason to purchase anything other than replicator machines. And that, whatever. That's, the, that's the thing that was so disorienting is in the pilot episode, there's a scene where Captain Picard is giving an interview, right, to, to a TV station that's theoretically being beamed around the galaxy. And... Uh, and then, like on Earth, you see a character like seeing the interview through a storefront window or, or something like that. And I, I realized, like, <laughs> wow, like I, I, I had this realization that like I have never seen the media depicted in right. uh, in Star Trek: Next okay. Generation. Like you, you just yeah, yeah. because you're on a ship the whole time. I've never seen the media depicted. Right. Well, and there's so, a reason that they don't go to planets like that have. Federation stuff very often. It's because it's real complicated to have. How would that all exactly be working? <laughs> Let's be out in the far reaches of the galaxy, and we'll, you know, find an untouched new civilization and and do that that there. You know, it's it's one thing to have that stuff on a ship with however many people. Uh, it's another thing to like have that be the centerpiece of how you know global <laughs> commerce and trade work. Yeah. So, it, yeah, it, it is very disorienting to kind of see the impact of these things on planet Earth. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and I, you know, I don't know that the show is going to do a good job of exploring it, really. You know, like that based on what we see in the first episode. I'm kind of worried about yeah. that. Um, it's also been, you know, this idea since the 60s of this utopian future where everything's great where we are. That's why we have to go out into the world and or into the world, out into the universe. And but, but everything's great. We we have harmony, and it does feel like this show is saying, you know, not so much. 
which I guess is more realistic, but I, th- right. I think so. I think actually confronting problems like the, the utopianism of Star Trek always felt a little sanitary to me when yeah. like the show could actually be talking about issues. Well, the, con- yeah. the context of the next generation coming out is virtually every depiction of the future back at the time was really dystopian, right? Yeah. It was really yeah. like, uh, frightening and terrifying and which is what we've circled back to again now (laughs) yeah but point being point being that like that was what was so great about star trek the next generation and the original series is it imagined a future in which hey what if uh technology actually makes humanity better and more harmonious instead of thrusting it into like unrest right right? and that well but that's why i think it had such a great has a great opportunity to do the same thing now because we're in that same period where all of the fiction about the future that we digest now is very pessimistic yeah like mad max fury road you know mad max fury road but i mean that's just the tip of the iceberg everything is you know is uh resources scarce uh you know uh climate change all that stuff that is very real problems that i believe will affect us in the future but it, it it permeates into our, our fiction now, and I, I there really isn't a optimistic view of the future in popular culture. And I was kind of hoping maybe Star Trek would fill that place again, but it doesn't seem to be. Yeah, this does not seem like uh, these are not the the droids you're looking for in this case. I don't think. Right. right? I don't think this is going to be that show. Uh, but at at the same time as there's all these qualms hey man it's still so cool to see patrick stewart be this character again uh, you know yeah. a character. He, and picard is what 90 in the series stewart is close to 80 now right so yeah it is man you look good in the future at 90 yeah <laughs> i mean he was captain picard for i think um 178 episodes of the next generation and four movies so yeah. like it's it's really like a, a, a legendary performance, and just to see him step back into it, it just it just makes me emotional. Even though yeah, and, it's it's trading on nostalgia quite a bit. And I, I I will say you know we've been talking about some of the weaknesses of the of the uh, the the pilot episode, but what I think this uh, episode does do a pretty good job is organically explaining who Patrick Picard. Is. I'm sorry, um, uh, John Luke Picard. Patrick is. Picard, right, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> who who John Luke Picard is? Like, will, will be known. Yeah, right. Like I like, love that his dog is named number one. Come on, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's great. But I mean, the, him giving an interview and then the interview is like, this is who like John Luke Picard is. This is history. You know, I was like, oh yeah, this yeah. is this would be a good way of catching pe- people up if they have no idea who this <laughs> character is. You know, and I appreciated that. So anyway, Jeff, I interrupted you. No, I was just saying I love the fact that his dog is named number one. I think that's a, <laughs> that was a, a really uh, inspired little cool thing. Yeah, yeah. So overall, I think uh, a bit of a mixed bag, but I think I, I, I got to keep going, you know, to see to see where this this goes. Um, it's okay, but you you guys have CBS now, right? Uh, check out Discovery. Check out the Good Fight. Check out Evil. There's good stuff on CBS. Indeed, indeed. All right. Uh, hey, I watched the Twilight Zone when that came out. So um, yeah, right. I'll try to I'll try to dip into Discovery as well. That's our thoughts on Picard. It's available right now on CBS All Access, uh, which is available via a variety of streaming platforms. Before we get to our review of The Gentleman, we got to thank all the people who donated to the podcast this week. A big thanks to Robert Summers and Sam Veltri uh, for subscribing at the rate of $2 per month. And thanks also to donors Sam from Brooklyn, New York, Robert Schlemmer, who says he's donating out of shame, and William from Melbourne, Florida, who writes... 
totally work, uh, totally worth a buck a month to listen to you because you all put Endgame on your top ten list. I call the Slash Filmcast my nerdcast because you guys not only discuss cinema, but also appreciate the pleasures of genre entertainment. Thanks, end quote. I think I'm the only one that did that, though. No, I put Endgame on my top ten, dude. You I did, did too. Oh. Yeah. yeah. We, oh, all, we all did it, dude. You, thanks for listening right. to us worse than freaking William from Melbourne, Florida, Jeff. <laughs> yada, Even though yada, you're yada, on the show. my turn. Yada, yada, my turn. Uh, also... <laughs> Very, very cool with the idea of of people donating out of shame. If there's a way we can crank up the shame, I'm I'm fine with that. Some shame. Well, speaking of shame, if you are ashamed that you have not done anything to support the podcast, you can either donate at PayPal.me/slash/the-word-filmcast. That's PayPal.me/slash/the-word-filmcast, or uh, you can always go to Apple Podcasts, leave a review for us, or or even just a star rating. Like it, leaving a star rating is ridiculously. It's you literally just click on something, and that's it. Uh, so it takes a few seconds of your time, and there are many, I'm going to go out on a limb and say tens of thousands of people who have not done that. Uh, so if you have enjoyed the show, it, it, it will literally take like 20 seconds. Go to Apple Podcasts, click on a star rating, and uh, help get the word out about the podcast. It really does help. And uh, I would say if you're listening right now and enjoying the show, uh, please do that. because uh, yeah, If you're it, one of the dozens of thousands. Dozens of thousands. Not it, it's not literally the least you could do because literally the least you could do is nothing. That's just, that's the least you could Which do. Which you but, probably have been doing. But the second least thing you could do is go to Apple Podcasts leave, and uh, leave a star rating. And if you're feeling charitable, also uh, write some words for us. We'd really appreciate it. But thanks to all of our donors not, this week. No shame. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Thanks to all of our donors this week. We really appreciate you. And let's get to our review of The Gentleman. I want you to imagine a character. Your boss, Mickey Pearson. You're too smart to be blackmailing us, Fletcher. <laughs> Sweet Mary Jane is my vice. Your poison, on the other hand, is and always has been the destroyer of worlds. You're out of touch. And I would like you to consider an offer. I am not for sale. The plot begins to thicken. Now, I can't be specific about the heroes and zeros, but our protagonist is a hungry animal. There is a lot of money hanging in the balance. Our antagonist explodes on the scene like a millennial firework and has indirectly started a war. I think you need to see this, boss. What's the one of my firearms? find it i'll make inquiries his name is fahak was spelled with a ph so it sounds like fahak that was from the trailer of the gentleman the new film written and directed by guy ritchie i'm going to read the plot summary from imdb an american expat tries to sell off his highly profitable marijuana empire in london triggering plots schemes bribery and blackmail in an attempt to steal his domain out from under him this is this movie has a great cast, as was alluded to earlier. You got Matthew McConaughey, Charlie Hunnam, Michelle Dockery, Jeremy Strong, Colin Farrell, Henry Golding, uh, and a few other uh, great actors as well. Uh, so, Divinity Jeremy Hardor- Strong, come on, unrecognizable from <laughs> yeah. uh, from Succession. What is he doing in this movie, man? It's a good question. So, yeah, something. It, it's a good question. All right, so Divinity Hardwar, overall thoughts on the gentleman? Yeah, so I. I, I feel mixed about this movie. Like when we talk about problematic movies, I feel like this one is particularly <laughs> because I really, really enjoy like 75% of this movie. 
it yeah, is yeah. such it is so my bag like i feel like and let me just say like a guy richie movies i just feel like uh, i have a very special in my place in my heart for a lock stock uh snatch is a movie i loved so much in college i broke the dvd broke it it broke in the player because I played it too much. Um, I remember freshman year just inviting people to come check out this movie. Like he, I think when Guy Ritchie is on fire, he is just like a pure cinematic force. And yeah, recently we have not seen that as much. Uh, I feel like man from uncle was like the last uh, example of like what he could do. And apparently even he doesn't realize that people actually love that movie. Um, so that that's my thing with Guy Ritchie. I think he can be really great. And I l- also love uh, British gangster movies. I, I love the style of them. I love the swagger of them. And this movie has all of that, plus a great cast. This, to me, feels like the successor to Snatch I wanted because uh, Revolver was not that. Rock and Rolla was not that. Um, this is a cool, stylish movie about cool guys doing cool things and having, you know, long pop culture-filled uh, discussions with each other. I feel like in the post-Tarantino milieu of gangster movies, I, I think Guy Ritchie was like the one to really carry things forward in a really interesting way, mainly because he wasn't just in America like so many other folks. Um, there's so much of this I love. And then this movie does some random stuff where it's just like, oh, let's just be very racist to Asian people for some reason, for no reason, <laughs> to make the worst, the dumbest, like, 90s jokes about the name P-H-U-C. You know, it's like, I... I, first of all, I heard this in school when people were shitty at school. I heard this in many TV shows and many like movies in the 90s and the aughts. Like, it does feel like we've if if you're gonna do an insult, at least make it new. At least make something fresh. Like, give give me something new here, Guy Ritchie. Uh, so didn't appreciate that. And uh, we could talk more about this in spoilers. But there's also like a scene of potential assault in this movie, which just felt like what what are you doing? <laughs> we're having fun here. We're having fun in this movie. Like that's. Uh, it takes the movie to such a weird place. That it kind of just, yeah, uh, made me lose my my mojo for this movie quite a bit. I, I, I really like so much of it. Like, that's the thing. I, I'm struggling with my love for so many aspects of this movie. I think Colin Farrell is doing fun, like really great work in this movie. I love Colin Farrell as the sort of like uh, gangster who doesn't want to be a gangster. The gangster with the heart of gold. And he's so good at that. What is, what is he wearing? In this movie, it's like it's like soccer suits with like a polo underneath. Like I love the style of this movie. Every single thing Matthew McConaughey wears, it's just it's super stylish. It's a super fun world to like be in, even if these are all terrible, horrible people. Uh, I will say I don't know. I don't even know what Matthew McConaughey is doing in this movie though. He feels very bored for a movie centered around his coolness. The opening scene of this movie feels like one of his Lincoln Navigator commercials because he is just like talking to the camera about like some weird life philosophy. And it felt like I was, yeah, I felt like I was watching the promo for a Lincoln commercial uh, before the movie. Now it's just the movie. So there's that that same thought. I was like, is this is just a long Lincoln commercial? (laughs) Yeah, basically, basically, except he's he's not really he's not really having any fun of it. I feel like he gives more energy in those Lincoln commercials than he does in this movie. And then Jeremy Strong, who I like how weird he is. But I also had the sense of like, is this is this performance anti-gay? I don't I don't know. Like, is this all right? What well, he's I doing? I don't know what's going on. It's very foppish in a very weird way that feels like it's almost making fun of, I don't know, 
people who talk like that, but I can't tell because it's Jeremy Strong and he can be good and invest himself in a crazy role like he did in Serenity. So, so I don't know. Here, here's what I'll say about that topic. Just uh, it's it's really not kind of my area of expertise, but from what I understand, there's a long history, particularly noticeable in Disney films, of coding villains as yes. queer in some way. Yes. Right? Like that you think yep. about like um uh, Jafar or Ursula from the, the Little Mermaid and so on. Like many of the villains in Disney films have been coded as queer uh, in, in some respect. And I, I like the, the I like the comparison. Like we're going to draw a diagram of Disney films to Guy Ritchie yeah, films. Well, I mean, there's an over, there's a heavy overlap after 2019. There, there is now. But there is now. Uh, yeah, and so uh, th- there's a long history of that. And mm-hmm. this movie feels like it's bringing like that has long gone out of style. But this movie feels like it's bringing that back <laughs> along with Asian jokes. It, it is it's, certainly a choice. It's it's yeah. really well, really baffling to me. So, and he's not the only one in the. I mean, literally every character you're supposed to exactly. be happy. Bad things happen to. Yeah. Has it is coded is, is as, as queer in some. Hugh, way. Hugh Grant yes. is in this yeah, movie Hugh too, Grant, and exactly. is also and, yeah, yeah. doing that. Jeff Kanata, your thoughts on the gentleman? Well, Dave, I guess you could say my thoughts about the gentleman are best summed up in the form of a limerick. It's a pretty fun movie to see, bro. Doesn't get the Kanata guarantee, though. What can I say? It's tougher today to pull off 90s Tarantino. Nice. Mm. Yes, very good. Very good. I, I, I called your your limerick, Jeff. Very nice. <laughs> yes, as I was listening to you talk, I was like, oh, hmm, Devinder already said all this stuff. Uh, <laughs> but no, I, I agree with almost everything Devinder said. It, it's, it's fun. The movie's fun uh, on a certain level, on a style over substance level. Yeah. And I walked out of this movie going, there are sequences that are really slick. I mean, the movie, yeah. I think the, the adjective that is best <clears throat> used for this movie is slick. It's a slick movie. And you know Guy Ritchie's slick. <clears throat> it's, he, is, he is a very effective director at creating cool moments and, and shooting scenes in cool ways and making people look cool. And gangster but, talk. I think he is good at gangster talk. Like I like, or maybe it's just one the of those, British thing. Yeah. This is one of those movies where every character talks exactly the same. There's no, <laughs> they all talk in the same gangster talk, right? I kept walking out of this movie going, what, what is it about Pulp Fiction that I find to be a masterpiece mm-hmm. and this that I find to be, because I had all these criticisms in my head about this. And I was like, well, you kind of can say that about Pulp Fiction. You can kind of say that about Pulp Fiction. Sure, sure. But A, all the people in Pulp Fiction don't talk the same, right? I don't understand why we're supposed to root for Matthew McConaughey. The movie just tells you he's cool. It yeah, just, he, it just he's, says he's, he's cool. And you're yeah. supposed to go, oh, I'm rooting for him because they told me he's cool. There's he's nothing, the man. Come on. There's nothing he does that is even remotely interesting or I, I'm not brought into his story in any way he's yeah like i why do i care i did not care one whit what happened to that dude like i kind of care what happens to his wife at a certain point but other than that like i don't i'm rooting for him to be able to sell his thing or okay well he can't sell his thing so now we i guess we gotta be mad at the people that didn't let him do it like this movie is just a series of things that happen that are supposed to be super cool Mm -hmm. but i'm completely uninvested in any of the people save for Hugh Grant. Hugh Grant is the only person in this movie that I, I care about, and we're supposed to not like him. He's he's super fun. He he has these wonderful unraveling monologues that I I think Hugh Grant is great. These lovely Cockney flights of fancy monologues where he's just te- weaving a, a yarn. So slimy. I, so yeah, yeah, fun it's and slimy. great. 
But yeah. we're supposed to we're supposed to root for him to get his comeuppance. And I don't like I I wasn't I, this movie. I just think it sort of fails on a very basic level of storytelling mm-hmm. in the sense of creating protagonists and antagonists. And it, it does it in, in shorthand that I'm not buying into. Like it, you're telling me this yeah, person's yeah. bad because of the way they talk. Like I'm, I don't it think does, that. It doesn't help that there's so many characters too. And they, the movie keeps introducing more. One thing I will say before, like, I don't think culturally we get this, but this movie feels like sort of a remake of the long good Friday which I talked about a couple a couple of months ago. I saw it on Criterion Channel. That's the John McKenzie film starring Bob Hoskins, also about a very like powerful and influential gangster who's trying to make one last deal to get out of the business. And this movie actually lifts a shot directly from that movie. So I was like, oh, okay, I see what he's doing now. Maybe that that shorthand would make more sense in the UK when people can understand like what kind of a character he's selling. Here, maybe, yeah, we don't all get that. Yeah, I mean, I think the movie's uh, a, a bit of a mess, but a fun mess. Like it's, 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 you know, you're gonna go in, you're gonna have some popcorn, and you're mm-hmm. probably gonna have a, a little fun. But yeah, I mean, it's problematic on a number of levels, and it's just sort of not a very well made movie. I, I mean, not you know, not very well structured, not very well told. It, it's fun and it's slick and it's got you know cool devices and it you know the the structure is is clever and it just doesn't have any heart to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, let me say a few things about it and then let's get to spoilers. I uh, overall uh thought this movie was fun. I think that it you know the things that I look for in a Guy Ritchie movie are number one, I like the plot to uh, kind of be very propulsive and to play with form a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. like um and he does that a little bit in this movie. Like a part of this movie is told as though it's a screenplay and they reference like movie conventions. And that's a little, that's kind of fun. I wish there, I honestly wish there had been more of that. Uh, Cause that would really make this movie stand out a bit. No, I, I was very glad once we got past that, that part of the scene where you grants talking know, about Pete, like, I, I, screen. I'm like, man, I'm sure I, like 95% of people, for? I'm sure 95% of people find that stuff really irritating, but yeah. I actually enjoy it. Cause I'm like, Oh, this is something different. Like this, this person is really good going for it, whatever it is. But he wasn't really going for it in this movie. He's I, of, I agree with you, yeah, Dave. I, yeah. I liked all that stuff, and I thought it could have been <laughs> much more fun to have an unreliable narrator not really know what's the movie's yeah, s- yeah, uh, yeah. screenplay and what's the real story. I thought that could have been that was, you know, a, a wasted opportunity. Yeah, but they just, they, they yeah, they, they reference it for like the first part of the movie and then they kind of forget about that completely. Uh, and then uh, uh, the other thing is, you, you know, you, you want these like memorable characters that deliver lengthy monologues in really, like we use language in really cool ways. And I think it, this movie does that. You know, there, there are like Colin Farrell, you guys have referenced some of the characters, Colin Farrell and Michelle Dockery. And he, I, I think Henry Golding does a great job as well. Uh, yeah. In this Henry movie. Golding giving us very good Cheyenne fat energy in this movie. Yeah, like and I, I want to see this guy with two he's, guns. He's like, good, man. He's like he. This is like the the most I've seen this uh, actor stretch uh, so far, and uh, mm-hmm. I think he does a great job. And also Charlie Hunnam. This is like one of my favorite roles of his. You know, yeah. I think like Charlie he, Hunnam is a good like helper guy. Yeah, he's the guy like like in Children of Men. He is good as the helper to the main villain or the main hero or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think he's great in, uh, this movie as well. And, uh, I, uh, he, he comes off as like super competent and badass, and like, you really understand like why he likes the things he likes and doesn't like the other things he doesn't like. Um, so all those things are great about the movie. 
the the bad things about the movie are it's it's a very slight movie. There's n- nothing to take away from this movie in my mm-hmm. opinion, right? There's not there's no like broader lesson or thing that it's trying to say or anything like that, right? It's just hey, this is a fun little tale and and that's it. That's the whole thing. That's the whole movie. Uh, and so, the, you know, it's it's very slight. It, it doesn't really make that much of an impact. But there's nothing wrong with that. What there is wrong with is, as Devinder put it, the slew of uh, anti-Asian jokes, which I, I think, you know, let's say you as a listener slash viewer think, hey, it's totally okay for people to be racist against Asians in movies. After all, these are gangsters and terrible people. So sure. whatever. Like uh, the Irishman let's- had people being racist and homophobic. You know? Let's let's say you yeah. think that. Let's say you think that. Which like I you know I don't know I don't necessarily believe that. But let's say you think that. I I do still think there's an argument to be made that it's not very funny. Like it's not mm-hmm. particularly amusing, and certainly it's not fresh. Uh, I you know I was comment. I made a video about this on my YouTube channel about the the racial humor in the movie, and this was brought up in the Slack film cast. People talking about. Uh, uh, my video and also talking about like, you know, when is it okay for characters to be racist in movies? And uh, uh, Buckeye Jet 0525 brings up the like, do you remember an Austin Powers gold member when Austin met two girls named uh, Fuck You and Fuck Me? And yep. I'm like, that that is literally that same joke. joke. In this. That is That's the, the joke. same joke. So the, the joke has not evolved since Austin Powers gold member. <laughs> And, and I think uh, which you was could make which an was argument. 18 years ago. Yes. So you can anyway. make an argument, by the way, for bad people to behave badly. But I think when it's done in this movie, like there is an extended fuck and fuck joke in this movie, and it goes on and on and on. And the audience around me was laughing it up, like they were <laughs> on board with it. So it's like you know what you're doing, Guy Ritchie. Okay, like that is that is a joke meant to get a response from the audience, whereas it's not just like a a bad guy saying a racist slur that that person is bad you should not do that well yeah kind of like the message is kind of there the the thing is if you're having fun with it i don't know matthew mcconaughey's character mickey pearson is in my opinion aspirational like sure he's he looks good he's a badass he's super smart i think he's a road scholar is that right like he's he's a road scholar literally road scholar drug dealer uh, and you know has an amazing wife and uh, great he's suits, growing, great suits, great coat, great suits, great, great co- yeah. He's growing marijuana. He's not even growing one of the hard drugs. You know, like he's not even growing something that would make you less likely to sympathize with him. And so uh, he's meant to be aspirational. So when he's throwing around Chinamen all the time. Uh, it's just, it, it, what is the movie trying to say? Is it trying to say like, hey, that's it's it's super cool that this character, like he's he is made to be a character that I think the audience, it, intentionally or not, he's made to be a character that the audience wants to emulate. And yeah. uh, I think it's a shame when you have a character like that uh, throwing around these racist terms like it's totally cool and we never evolve past, you know, the last This movie, years. by the way, also has a scene where a character, a black character calls out, you know, somebody... <laughs> calling them something bad uh and black and it's and then, almost uh, as if guy ritchie is wrestling with like the the pc-ness well he, of we, saying we, that term well yeah. a character white explains to him why it's okay that that character yes. was called that yeah. thing so yeah. um i do want to just call out uh john devore's review of the gentleman which i thought was really uh useful for me to shape some of my thoughts about it it's called the gentleman is a safe space for men uh and it, it basically makes the, the case that like 
Guy Ritchie's movie, The Gentleman, is trying to take us back to a time when, like, hey, remember when it was... Uh, here, I'll just read read from the review here. He says, quote, Guy Ritchie's new crime caper uh, comedy, The Gentleman, is a rude, star-studded safe space for men. For two hours, men can sit in the dark and laugh at slapstick violence, casual racism, and vulgarities like the C-word spit out with such speed and volume you'd think they were loaded into the ammunition belt of a heavy machine gun. The Gentleman is good old-fashioned fun for men. It's a cinematic equivalent of a remember-when conversation between balding jocks at a high school reunion. And director Guy Ritchie <laughs> understands those, those aging has-beens because he's afraid of becoming one, end quote. You know, or so it's very much he, like, hey, he rem- is one. remember know. when it was okay to like make all these racist jokes and like no one would have a problem with it? Like those were those were the good times back then. That, that's I mean, kind of what this movie is. Yeah, it's you can derive all of that simply from the title of the movie. There's <laughs> no reason why this movie should be called that, right? It's mm. it's kind of offensive that the movie is called that. You know, it's not it's not called the gentleman. It's the gentleman. It's mm. like everybody in this is. No one in this movie is a gentleman. I understand it's it's ironic to a certain extent, yeah. but the the implication is look at the code that we all live by, uh, and the code is pretty repugnant. It's pretty and, shitty. The movie, it's a pretty shitty. The movie code. doesn't think that. Yeah. The movie doesn't think the code is repugnant. The movie thinks the code that we're supposed to just like love Matthew McConaughey because yeah. he fucks. You know, like, you know, he's, he's, he's just a cool guy. And the movie starts off, it's like, imagine the, the most attractive dude ever. And, <laughs> it's, and it's like, okay, that's why I'm supposed to be in, in, into this dude. You know, like, I, it's, it, it's a weird thing. It's, it's just, uh, it just assumes that, yeah, this is, this is awesome. And it doesn't earn any of it. Yeah. Let's get the spoilers for the gentleman starting right now. Now you're looking for the secret. Can I see this coming? No. But you won't find it because, of course... You're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret now. You want to be fooled. I want to call out that shot, by the way, of when Matthew McConaughey gets in the back of the van and the guy turns around and points a gun at him, like when he's basically set up. I love that that is straight you know straight up ripped off from the long good friday because that is an iconic scene in that movie when a young pierce brosnan turns around and points a gun at bob hoskins so that is like that direct callback i think is really interesting because that really solidified for me that this movie is in so many ways a remake of the long good friday that movie is fantastic and you guys should all see it i think you'd enjoy the hell out of it all right that's the long good friday so I mean, is there anything to talk about in spoilers? Davindra, you referenced the scene I mean, where like a woman is threatened with sexual assault. And well, it just seems like it's. It we did. know Henry Golding's character is bad. We know he's bad. <laughs> just okay. just continue flushing just that continue. character down the yeah, toilet. He, and Why also, not? like, yeah, it's not. I love Henry Golding in the role, but I think the role itself is kind of garbage. Yeah. Because he's just another like young hotshot who doesn't respect his elders and thinks you know thinks he should run everything. Like it is such a boring character when they could have done so much more. And he is, he's just, his vibes are great. He's doing great in the role. Um, that scene is just infuriating because like, okay, yeah, of course, of course, like what, it, what is a man's worst fear is that somebody would do something horrible to his wife. And then you come at the last moment and blow his brains out. Like that's it. It's that cathartic, it's that cathartic moment that that movie, the movie is trying to recreate and it's kind of gross. It is pure. Yeah. It's awful. Also, there, there's another shot that I want to uh, point out. You know, we, 
we have gone through the progression of seeing a car accident shot like two cars hitting each other. Yeah. Yeah. Then for a long time, we saw a car accident where we're actually inside the car yeah. and it's coming at us and we cut away right as the car hits. Then we got to where we can see the car coming. We're looking through the passenger window. Uh-oh, here it is. And it makes the impact and we're <laughs> in the car and then we're outside the car and we see how that all played out. This movie takes, I guess, the next logical step. We never leave the car. We're literally, there's no establishing shot. There's no exterior shot of the car accident. I just thought that was kind of interesting. Like it's like the, the we've reached peak interior car accident. Sure. <laughs> I feel um, like we we've seen that in a lot of movies at this point. But it is surprisingly no, you almost always then go outside the yeah, car. Yeah. There's no at, at little, no point do you like, ever see the car accident from outside the car at any point. No, you don't. You don't. Like it's all inside. Yeah, we've seen it done better in a lot of other movies. But that felt like a weird restraint shot too from Guy Ritchie. Whereas like typically, yeah, you'd get all those multi angles and you get the reverse and rewatch it again or something. Like he only does that once in this movie, which I'm yeah. shocked by. The other thing I want to say is, um, first of all, I, I I really love Jeremy Strong, and I just don't know what he's doing in this movie. It is, <laughs> I I don't. I hate it's when very, it's say, very mannered, is what I would say. Yeah. Right, it's, it's very it. like, oh, you know, you just you're you. There's no redeeming qualities for you, in your opinion. I no, I, it's not for me. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I will say is that the end of this movie wants to play as a big twisty reveal, and I could not care less about the the reveal happens, and I go, <laughs> okay, all right. So you know, I, it, it's weird how the movie is trying to create a twist on oh he was at the the dinner the, the whole time he was like you know but here's the thing, here's the thing like, though just like important. literally i'm gonna name like i don't know six movies lock stock two spoken barrel snatch sherlock holmes one and two man from uncle every single one of those movies had like a last minute twist so yeah. I, I guess I feel That's like if you're not yeah. expecting that, you know, then you haven't been acquainted with Guy Ritchie movies enough. Like every one of it, I actually look like forward you, you to that to be, stuff. You know, you seem to be criticizing me rather than <laughs> I think what I'm criticizing is the film for thinking that that's gonna land in some interesting way like he's I don't... doing what he's done before. Like it just feels like he's playing his greatest hits in so many ways, just with new actors. Yeah. What What is the twist in this movie that you like object to or, or aren't aren't a, a big fan of? Man, I, it's, like it's Hugh Grant. Counter. Hugh Grant and like the the son of the Russian oligarch, and like oh, he right. was working for that guy, and they they all kind of set up a lot of this. Like, yeah, that. It, yeah, it was the yeah, it was the yeah, the son that they fell out the window was mad, and yeah, yeah. all of, like, well, there's like three little look, twists. There's oh, like man. three little twists at the end, including the fact that at the very final shot of the movie, Hugh Grant is apparently pitching everything that happened as a film, and you see yeah. a poster from Man From U.N.C.L.E. on the wall, which is a movie it. that Hugh Grant is in. So yeah. who who played Hugh Grant's role in Man From yeah. U.N.C.L.E. in this alternate universe? Uncle. Yeah, who directed it's, uh, that movie? It's Ocean's 12 logic, where there's just somebody who looks really like Julia Roberts. <laughs> right, <laughs> looks like Hugh Grant in this movie. <laughs> yeah. So. And to be fair... He doesn't look that much like Hugh Grant. <laughs> yeah, they really did a good job transforming him in this movie, <laughs> for sure. Unrecognizable. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. This movie, I will say, though, the, the magic of this movie is like, what I love about Guy Ritchie movie is sort of like seeing these characters, seeing them at least like when they're competent, be very competent. And like, I and when shit goes wrong, 
I kind of love that too. Like it is it is a specific vibe I like. Um, like when they go to the the house in South London and try to rescue the girl, and like you know this is not going to end well, and it goes badly just as you'd expect. But I kind of I I don't know if it's classist what the movie is doing, but Charlie Hunnam's character is disgust for so much of what he's dealing with because he lives a very proper clean life. Um, I just found that all hilarious, but it also feels like this movie is very classist at the same time. I will tell you guys, I walked out of this movie. I walked by scotch and soda, which is one of my favorite, um, you know, clothes stores here in New York. Um, they had a 50% off sale. I walked right in. I bought myself a damn nice top coat and I don't know why I don't <laughs> know go. why, but it looked really good. Yeah. looks really good on me. Yeah. Yeah. The styles overall are pretty good in this movie. So such good I, styles. Like, look I, at look, look everything he like uh, Matthew McConaughey is wearing, like his shirts, his ties, like the, the, the cut of the suit. Like, it's all very specific and really like just react. Yeah, that is the aspirational part. It's like you want to be that cool guy. Yeah, you want to be that guy in charge of this. It's like what somebody who would drive a Lincoln would wear, you know, mm. <laughs> makes you think about makes you think about life. Can we talk a second, just one split second about the new Lincoln commercial where he's supposedly <laughs> ice fishing. <laughs> like we're supposed to believe for one goddamn second that Matthew McConaughey goes out and solo ice fishes. Jeff, Jeff, real men fish in the ice. They, they jump right yeah. in. They're not afraid of the cold. That's why this movie feels like those ads is because those ads are the same level of preposterous hokum <laughs> for like, impotent men i don't know i've been i've been way more negative in this review than i actually feel about the movie like i don't actually feel that negative about the movie it's yeah it's it's fluff this, it's this is fluff. the this is the curse of movies like this like it is a good time while you're in it and then yeah. you feel bad about what you're enjoying or <laughs> and what you, other people are enjoying it's like it's a curse you start picking it apart and there's just layer upon layer upon layer and it's like it's crap all the way down and you go well i actually had fun but if you ask me to yeah. describe it i'm gonna Realize it's pretty bad. Does that make yeah. me a trash person too? The yeah. deep questions of the gentleman. Yeah. Indeed. Indeed. Agreed all around. <laughs> all also, uh, also for some random reason, I hated the opening credits. I don't know why oh. we go from the Lincoln commercial to like, a, it feels like very extended opening credits of us losing whatever momentum we built up from that really interesting opening setup. I don't know. Like, I, disag I, that, I disagree. Actually. I, you know, I, know. I, I think, just, I think it's, it's first of all, it's actually extremely rare these days to get an opening yes. credit sequence yes. at all. I, I was watching it and I was realizing like, wow, I would say probably um, the vast majority of movies, 80% uh, of movies, uh, they have, many of them have actual opening credits, but they often play over action, right? They yeah. don't play over, like, it's not just like, hey, here are the opening credits with a stylized, you know, what what have you, and nothing else. All you're watching normally, is the credits. Normally it's like an artsy movie or a Wes Anderson movie or something where you get, like, those steady opening credits, but it is rare. Yeah, it's it's yeah. rare, and so I appreciate, hey, it's a throwback, very much like the movie is with all its terrible jokes. Yeah. Um but uh, yeah, I, I I actually enjoyed that, and I, I enjoyed all the things that this movie did differently than than other movies, like uh, like having the part where Hugh Grant is giving the stage directions that are then matching what's happening on screen. You know, he's like uh -huh. smash cut to blah, and and then the yeah. film actually smash cuts, and I'm like, oh, and, you know, Hugh Grant is teaching the audience uh, editing <laughs> nomenclature, and that's kind of cool. I, I kind of like. I like. Yeah, I like the uh, the the sequence with the um, 
violence porn dudes where that you you have that <laughs> classic setup where they walk in and then the, the big bad british dudes keep walking out of the thing yes. and you feel like oh they're going to get it now and then we realized that all those british dudes got the shit kicked out of them yeah yeah that's pretty amazing <laughs> uh, pretty and you see it in the youtube music video love it yeah. love it yeah <laughs> oh yeah I, I i really like the part so there, you know there's some sections of the movie that are really uh, enjoyable yeah that's the thing yeah it's very much like that mm. intro the intro to colin farrell in that rest or whatever. So good. So good. Yep. No, I hated it. I really? thought it was terrible. Uh, terrible. Jeff, oh, where bad. what are you? What are you? You're breaking my heart over here. Like that is that is peak Colin Farrell. That is why you that's cast not only Colin, peak Farrell Colin Farrell. That's like, like peak Jeff. I could totally imagine Jeff in 30 years giving that speech mm. to some youngins. <laughs> so that's well, that's why you, I'm baffled by your yeah, now you've like, won me over. Yeah. <laughs> youngins surrounding Jeff in VR headsets and Jeff just has to lay the smack down. If yeah, you've given yeah. me opportunity to to Smack some little kids. Then I, you know, I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think we can wrap it up there. Uh, overall, pretty mixed thoughts on the gentleman. Uh, not the worst movie, but yeah, I mean, it, it's it's a shame that the the unforced errors that it makes are yeah. uh, a big shame. Uh, I give the gentleman a three out of five. I give my new top coat a five out of five. Nice. <laughs> so win win. <laughs> Indeed, yes. win win. All right, well, um, you can find more episodes of the Slash Filmcast at SlashFilmcast.com. Email us at SlashFilmcast at gmail.com. Stay tuned to hear what we'll be discussing next week. Our theme song comes from AdamWarrock.com. Our spoiler bumper comes from filmmaker Kyle Hillinger. And this episode was edited by Beatty Zhang. Uh, until next time, Jeff Kanata, where can people find more of your work on the internet? Well, it's easy to follow me on Twitter. I'm at Jeff Kanata, which is spelled with two N's and one T. I also do a video game show called DLC, which you can find at 5x5.tv slash DLC or by searching for DLC or my name anywhere you get podcasts. Also, I'm doing The Dungeon Run, which, you know, you hear me criticize storytelling a lot on this show. Make me eat my words. Go check out the, the storytelling that I do in The Dungeon Run. It's a live play Dungeons & Dragons show where I'm making up the story while the players play it. And uh, we do that live Wednesday nights at 6 p.m. Pacific time at caffeine.tv slash The Dungeon Run. You can also listen to it as an audio podcast by searching for The Dungeon Run wherever you get podcasts or by finding it on YouTube by searching for The Dungeon Run there. How about you, Devendra? Oh, you can find me on Twitter at Devendra. I write about tech at Engadget.com and I'm also co-hosting the Engadget podcast. So be sure to subscribe and check that out. And you can find me at Culturally Relevant, uh, which is a show where I interview exciting artists, authors, and filmmakers. This week, I'm going to be speaking with Charles Yu, who wrote a book called Interior Chinatown. Uh, I'm probably going to talk about this book at another point in time, maybe as an after dark. But guys, I, I, this is like one of the my favorite books that I've ever read. Um, and nice. it, it's basically like the way I describe the premise is... You know how uh, like Toy Story offered you a look at like what toys do when you're not looking at them, like how they have all these this inner life and this whole other set of activities that they do that you you don't have access to. Like mm -hmm. in this book, Interior Chinatown, imagines like you know that Asian guy in the background of a Law and Order episode. Like what <laughs> what if that guy, not not the actor playing him, like what if that actual guy had like a life outside of being generic Asian guy. <laughs> like and, and then it imagines what that guy's life is like and how he's like he's working his way up from generic Asian guy to be Kung Fu guy on, you know, wow. on this TV show. And it's written in script format and it's super creative. And 
Uh, I've laughed. I cried. It's an amazing book. Um, so I'd recommend that book. Uh, it's called Interior Chinatown. And I'm interviewing the author, Charles Yu, on my podcast, Culturally Relevant. So check that out as well. Next week, we're going to be reviewing The Rhythm Section, the new film directed by Reed Morano, starring Blake Lively. Should be a lot of fun. Uh, In so, which uh, Jude Law plays a not trustworthy assassin helper. Like, <laughs> man. I feel like he's done that like eight times already, but you know. so many times. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Uh, looking forward to seeing how that movie goes. Thanks for listening to the Slash Homecast. We'll see you later. Yeah.